the musical version of an It's Complicated relationship status, a sad banger gets its power from the tension between the glorious release of the beat and tearjerker lyrics that'll have you busting out on the dance floor and bursting into tears all at once. It's a very modern phenomenon, but the history of the sad banger stretches back decades, the product of heartache and pain all its own. I'm Ginger Valentine, and this is Key Change. Dance music. Hip-hop. Music. Keychain. Don't modulate the key, then not debate with me. With Ginger Valentine. Now, sad songs that sound happy have been around as long as people have been making music, mining the same emotional conflict as the sad banger. But there's a visceral kick to the sad banger that's more powerful, that makes your body move even while your heart is breaking. A song like God Only Knows or Iron and Wine's Naked As We Came can explore a similar contrast between a quiet fear of loss as it overlaps with deep love, but that's too nuanced for our purposes. The sad banger demands intense, oversized emotions to match the beat, so we put to one side the subtle emotions of adulthood and dig into the pure adolescent energy of heartbreak, longing and loneliness. Then the sad banger channels that monumental, inarticulate ache into a chorus that bursts in a messy, emotionally complicated catharsis that has the same impact as a really good cry. I'd call it a crimax, but I think that term has... different connotations. Distinct from any other feel-good chorus, the key to a sad banger is that frisson of sadness that cuts through, a salty streak that makes the sugar even sweeter. Maybe it's denial, maybe it's release, but it's just not a sad banger without that. And now we're lucky to be living in the halcyon days of the sad banger, with artists like Robin and Lord working at the very pinnacle of the form, even as they define it. But far from emerging fully formed like Athena plucked from Zeus's head, sad bangers went through plenty of their own misery and pain and love and rapture to bring us to this point. There are almost certainly older examples, but for me, the sad banger as we know it starts with Smokey Robinson and the Miracles 1967 single, Tears of a Clown. It's a stretch to call this a banger, since that term skews more towards modern dance genres like House, but the drummer is going hard on this track, especially on either side of the chorus, and that helps to build a similar kind of tension. So maybe it's more of a proto-banger. That calliope melody conjures the fun of a carnival and the titular clown, but there's no more legendarily sad clown than Pagliacci. And Smokey captures the duality of the song so perfectly in his performance. His velvety smooth voice sounds like the purest sunshine, so you could happily listen to the timbre and not the lyrics, and come away thinking that it's a classic Motown love song. But there's a kind of vulnerability, a delicate shading to his voice that hints at the hurt lurking beneath. I mean, that and the backing singers actually sing sad, 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 sad at one point, so it's very subtle. Once disco rolled around, the sad banger took another step towards the format we know today. Donna Summer's Heaven Knows walked so that Robin could dance on her own, with an overwhelming, glittery chorus that explores a similar tension between what the singer wants and what she gets. Donna doesn't quite exploit those same, all-obliterating teenage emotions as Robin does, Heaven knows is somewhere between accepting her fate and begging her love to join her, so there's still a, a sense of hope there. But that cognitive dissonance gives the chorus a complicated kind of thrill that still resonates in With Every Heartbeat or Lady Gaga's Alejandro. Alejandro. 
1986, the Sad Banger streams diverged, and the Fire Nation attacked. No. Attentive listeners might remember us talking about an early icon of House, Your Love by Frankie Knuckles, way back at the start of the year on the Carly Rae Jepsen episode. That just goes to show how influential this song is, and how limited my knowledge of House music is. The yearning at the heart of Your Love is a complicated mix of anticipation and hopelessness, somehow managing to be minimal and chock-full of tension all at once. That is the essential conflict of the sad banger. The song's Italo groove is pure house, a direct descendant of Donna Summer and co that will go on to shape the work of Robin and Lord and dozens more in the future. But a key part of the modern sad banger is its dance pop structure, marrying dance music's tension and release, which we see in Your Love, to pop's verse-chorus format. And who better to trust with the pop bit than Sweden's biggest export? Just about the same time as Frankie Knuckles was defining the sound of Chicago House, ABBA dropped their unforgettable anthem to loneliness and desperation, Gimme 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 A Man After Midnight. The song draws on similar disco influences to Your Love, but takes them firmly into pop territory, so that Gimme 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 is where we see the essential elements of the sad banger come together for what might be the first time. After that point, the sad banger more or less went into hibernation. It popped up every now and again, certainly, in Cindy Lauper's When You Were Mine, or Womack and Womack's Teardrops, not to mention a bunch of Prince songs. It wouldn't really be till around 2005 when another Swedish act would go on to revive the sad banger, and then go on to define it for all time five years later. Dancing On My Own is a brutally efficient synthesis of lean, muscular dance music and sleek pop combining both genres to produce something greater than the sum of their parts. Robin wasn't the first to do that, certainly, but it quickly became her trademark after her self-titled album. By the time 2010's Body Talk Part 1 mini-album came about, she was already a star, but Dancing On My Own made Robin an icon. Reaching right back to those disco influences as filtered through house and pop, Dancing On My Own is the peak of the sad banger genre. It is a gorgeous, delicious sense of release that is perfectly complicated by the messy feeling of both being rejected and being alone, but somehow taking power from that, glorying in that, and that moment of release that comes from maybe accepting that you are on your own and just embracing it. It's wonderful, and it packs so many overlapping emotions into its chorus all of which is perfectly mirrored in the beat and the structure and the way that it builds that tension through the verses to pay off in the chorus. A gorgeous, heartbreaking union of music and lyric and theme. And not being the most savvy with music theory, there's something both in the instrumentation and in Robin's performance that just cuts through, adding a sad tinge that is unmistakable. So where something like Tears of a Clown was designed to be read as a happy, glorious, light, lovely song that had a sort of darker undertone that was very gently foreshadowed. This is something that doesn't wear its heart on its sleeve, certainly, but it shows off a little bit more of that nuance. There's a little bit of a, to steal an image from Matt Berninger of The National, a drop of ink in a glass of water, uh, which makes Dancing on My Own just extraordinary. It is both a pop masterpiece and a dance masterpiece that exceeds what 
either dance or pop part of it could do on its own. Marrying music and lyric to deliver this great synchronous quality, it's also marrying a couple of music genres at the same time and doing it so effortlessly. It's an unbelievable song, and quite rightly, an iconic song for our times. I'm sure this is the sort of song that, if podcasts like this still exist in 30 or 40 years, I hope they're still talking about dancing on my own, because it is that perfect and emblematic of a time. And naturally, because it was such a good song, it brought the sad banger out of hibernation. We hear plenty of that sad banger on Lord's 2017 album Melodrama, particularly the song Green Light, which has that same sort of sense of denial and acceptance all at once of the complicated feelings. It's a breakup album, and it wears that very clearly on its sleeve. Liability is a very sad song in its own right, but for me, Greenlight encapsulates that perfect feeling of going out when you are heartbroken and dancing the night away and drinking and being with your friends in a way that is both celebratory and indulgent and denies what you're really feeling, even though you can't really separate from those feelings. That heartbreak is still there even as you dance, and I think Lord captures that exquisitely in Greenlight. There's plenty of other songs that are following Robin's footsteps. Things like Julian, the lead track of Carly Rae Jepsen's latest album, is an extraordinary, delicious, very light, playful song that sits more towards the tears of a clown sort of feel where it is a song that is emotionally complicated but it doesn't wear its heart on its sleeve like Dancing On My Own does. It's both joyous and a little bit sad at the same time. The joy tends to overwhelm the sad in the case of Julian, but that's the power of the sad banger is that you can shuffle those ratios around and find more nuance in there. It's an evolving form, and I think Robin has defined it, but it will continue to grow. But the term sad banger is back in our minds now, almost exclusively because of Mark Ronson's 2019 album. Late Night Feelings is Mark Ronson's fifth album as a producer, Svengali sort of thing. He never really sings, but he plays a lot of his own instruments. He's clearly a very gifted songwriter and producer, and I love all of his work. I haven't really sunk my teeth into Late Night Feelings, but the single that features Miley Cyrus, Nothing Breaks Like a Heart, is a great distillation of the sad banger. I actually really like what Mark and Miley have done on that track because it sort of interpolates more of a country feel. I like the addition to the formula, the variation that they've created, which sounds a little bit like if Dolly Parton did a Robin song. And quite frankly, who could not love that as an outcome? Late Night Feelings features a whole bunch of incredible collaborators and artists like King Princess and Licky Lee, who is in herself a, an incredibly talented creator of Sad Bangers. Check out Sadness is a Blessing on the playlist. Absolute gem of a tune. My complicated feelings about Mark Ronson being the one to have all this impact is kind of like my feeling about much of his catalogue in general. Like I said, I really like what he does. I think he has a great ear for pop and he's an incredible producer, especially as far as rhythm is concerned. I love his drums. He's always got those bang on, whether it's working with someone like the Dap Kings, who are a live band, or program drums. He always gets that stuff right. But what complicates this a little bit for me comes from the history of the Sad Banger. If you look back at the people that I've mentioned as the archetypal figures in the history of the Sad Banger, the genre really owes everything to queer people and people of colour. And queer people of colour, let's not erase the overlap, the intersection of those groups. Right back from Motown, obviously an iconic period in black music history, an iconic studio for a whole range of musical expression. That Motown sound is inextricably linked to blackness. And the same goes for disco, which came out of queer clubs, most of which were populated by and featured performers who were people of colour and or queer before becoming more mainstream. So the progression out of disco as a subculture into the mainstream, where you get people like Bee Gees and, to a lesser extent, ABBA jumping on that bandwagon, 
I hesitate to suggest that it's cultural appropriation of any sort, because that's that's a complicated idea. But there is a real connection between marginalized groups and the particular nuance of sad bangers. I think you can interpret something specific to the black experience that would also resonate with queer people in something like Tears of a Clown, where it is all about having to present this mask of being together. In the case of blackness, you have this very specific model minority expectation, which I'm sure was something that the Miracles felt and a lot of Motown artists no doubt felt, being exemplars of black culture who were somehow separated from their blackness because they were great musicians as far as white people perceive them, but were inextricably black. They can't leave their blackness behind just by virtue of being good musicians. So that need to present in a way that is friendly and approachable and not angry, all of those stereotypes around blackness would require certain behaviours from artists like The Miracles. And maybe there's a little bit of that frisson, that tension in Tears of a Clown. And similarly in Donna Summer's disco stuff. I don't believe Donna herself was queer. She's obviously a woman of colour and that is its own set of intersecting oppressions. But the audience, at least in the early days, was certainly a presumed queer audience and a queer audience dominated by people of colour. So the connection between marginalised groups like people of colour and queer people and women... I think a great deal of the complexity of the sad banger comes from the messiness of being a person of colour in a largely white community, or a queer person in a largely straight community, or a woman in a world dominated by men. I struggle to believe that Mark Ronson can really understand that in a way, and I think a reasonable criticism of his work is that he is a pastiche artist, that he makes really great pop songs, no denying, he's a pop craftsman par excellence, but he does tend to wear a whole bunch of masks and try on other people's sounds. Maybe he's done the work to know where this stuff is coming from, and he certainly has an intricate knowledge of pop music as a medium, but whether he has the experience to really speak to that is something that gives me pause. And the fact that he's worked with a whole bunch of women, and women of colour especially, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. I can't decide. But nonetheless, The Sad Banger is a beautiful and powerful thing, a really unique format of song that combines massive genres and times into a very sharply distilled experience. There's nothing quite like The Sad Banger, There might have been the equivalent of sad bangers in classical or Baroque music for all I know, but there is something very contemporary about the sad banger, and I think that its resurgence has something to do with the increasing visibility and capacity for queer people and people of colour and women to define themselves and to perform as they wish to, and to explore those sort of complexities of dealing in worlds when your experience is decentered. I hope this continues. I hope I hear more people who aren't white English men making sad bangers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Key Change. Full episodes come out at the end of each month, and you can also find shorter Singles Club episodes dropping in your feed mid-month, so you never have to wait too long between drinks. I'd like to give an extra special thank you this time around to everyone who supports Key Change via Patreon or Coffee. I just launched these services last month, and I've already been, quite sincerely, shocked and delighted by the generosity of some of you. It's still very much early days, but it means a lot to me that so many of you are willing to support this project. Particular thanks to the gorgeous, splendid and wonderful Eloise, Jessica, Ree and Tim for jumping on as patrons so quickly. As an extra special note, it means a lot to me personally that my first patron was actually a music writer whose Poptimus column for Pitchfork was an essential read for me at the formative peak of my music nerdery. So an extra deep, sincere thank you to you, Tom Ewing, for your support. The talented and lovely Anna Spargo Ryan also sent me a tip that was, frankly, too much, and I'm forever in her debt for it. Anna is a phenomenal writer, and you can find her books, The Gulf and The Paper House, in all of the best places you get books. Please give them a read. She's a gorgeous writer, 
who writes incredible, rich, sweet, lovely, gentle prose that kind of trips you up when she gets to some of the real emotionally heavy stuff, and I love her for it. I love her for a lot of reasons, but you know, she's a great writer, and you can experience that. You can support the show too. Go to ko-fi.com slash gingerbfg, that's spelled ko-fi.com slash gingerbfg, to chuck me a few bucks, or if you really want my love, sign up at patreon.com slash gingerbfg to become a patron like these glorious folks to help me keep making these shows longer term. You can find those links in the show notes, as well as the link to the Keychain's Twitter. Find that at keychangecast, or one word, for updates on new shows, a bit of chat about music, and all sorts of stuff like that. Subscribe in your favourite podcatcher or listen via Spotify and recommend the show to a friend or write a review on Apple Podcasts if you'd be so kind. Especially if you aren't able to support financially, which I fully understand, a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing it with a friend is a really incredibly valuable way for me to reach more people who might enjoy this and make this a more sustainable thing for me to do. Next time on Key Change, we'll get intimate with Charlie XCX's 2017 single, Boys. Boys.